Welcome to this week's edition of Inside Business and Technology. I'm Dominic Coyle, filling in for Tom Lyons. In this week's show, we're going to discuss the latest on the slump in technology stocks. But first, I'm joined by Carlin Lillington to hear more about the extraordinary ruling this week in the European Court of Justice on data retention. Carlin, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much. First up, maybe we, we could tell you've described this as a David versus Goliath uh, action. Could you explain exactly what you mean by that? Well, if you look at the case itself, you see that it's sort of it's Digital Rights Ireland versus, and it's a huge long list of um, basically uh, the Department of Justice here, the Department of Communications, the Attorney General, the communication. It's a huge long list of who they were up against um, in this particular case. But at a wider level, they weren't just taking on. Um, the state on a constitutional challenge, which is the basis of this court. But they they always pretty much knew it would probably be transferred to the European Court of Justice. So they were taking on the entire establishment in the EU on a really important issue. And they've been at this for some time. I mean, Digital Rights Ireland and other privacy interests have been arguing and, and warning about the, the inadequacies of our provision going back to 2001. So how unexpected was, was the ruling at the end of what is a 13-year saga? I, you know, it's a, that's a really good question. I would say that it was both somewhat expected and entirely unexpected. It was somewhat expected because the European Court of Justice is always advised in advance by its advocate general who issues an, a, a public opinion. And the advocate general's job is to analyze all the, the arguments made by both sides and look at the documentation and then prepare a brief for the actual court. His brief had, had um, I think, to the surprise of, of many, actually argued to throw out the directive um, although he, he took a more conservative approach than the, the final judgment. He was arguing that the director should be retained until something was re-legislated to put into its place. The the ECJ actually wanted to throw it out. They said it, it not only was invalid now, but it had been invalid from the very beginning because and, and, and it was they, incorrect. They argued that, that it was against some of the fundamental rights that are enshrined in, in the EU charters. I mean, it, it is unusual. Normally, the Advocate General is, is rubber-stamped by the ECJ. The fact that the ECJ would actually go further than, than well, the Advocate is General really is somewhat interesting. unusual. Yes, and it, and it seems that there's there's perhaps a bit of politics behind Behind this as well, my my understanding from some EU insiders is that this may this was really the first opportunity for the ECJ to make a ruling on a case that involved the human rights area rather than the the um, the court that would normally deal with human rights, and so um, there may have been um, a desire to make a very strong statement and make it clear that the ECJ felt it could also um, rule on on these complex issues that it wasn't just about uh, you know, t- more technicalities, but you could take on these wider human rights issues as well. So the ruling's out there now. What are exactly are the sort of consequences that are going to, going to flow from that in the short term? That's in the sh- in the short term. Um, well, we've got the uh, the European officials all rushing to meet on Friday. The judgment was Tuesday. By on Friday, um, they're trying to figure out what happens next themselves. It would seem, I mean, there's a lot of, and the fact is nobody really knows because you can, if you go around and look at some of the commentary afterwards by, on a lot of the legal blogs by the people who 
theoretically know this stuff best. There's a, there's a lot of divided opinion. It would seem that the laws that stand in each state continue to stand until they're challenged. So although the directive has been thrown out at the as on an on and the directive forms the basis of laws that um, of the states that passed them, a couple of states never did pass the, um, bring the directive into into um, into national law. Um, you would have to take individual challenges in each state, it would seem. And this is actually what's going to happen with the Digital Rights Ireland case anyway, mm. because the only reason it was referred to the Court of Justice was so that th it, there was a high court action on the constitutionality of Ireland's data retention laws. The High Court referred it to Europe because they wanted to understand whether at the at the the, the European Court of Justice felt that data retention had a legal basis. Mm -hmm. They've now said no, but but you know there's that balance between you know there isn't sort of a there's there's only so much of a federal Europe and the state laws mm -hmm. presumably still take. And, uh, Two of the, the issues that have come up, two of the real trends in, in technology and in data are big data and cloud storage. Mm. Both of them seem to be quite directly affected by this ruling from the ECJ. Maybe it'll take a while to come out in the wash, but am I right mm. that, that the, these these are going to be areas, the people in, in cloud storage and that are going to be losers in this until, unless they can find ways or of more winners. tightly protecting. Well, well, see, this is what's interesting about it. One of the one of the th the parts of the ruling that that um, many people find most interesting, who look at these things and who are interested in te technology as well, is that the the justices very clearly state that they feel that one of the big problems with data retention is the retention of metadata. Now, the argument has always been, you know, we're not, we're not taking the content of your phone calls or your emails. We're just taking the information about the call the, or about the email, when it was sent or when the call was made and um, who was the recipient, who was the sender, who was the maker of the call. Um, and location data, for example, from your, your phone is constantly being located by, by telecoms masts. And so it, your phone knows pretty much where you are throughout the day. This is the kind of stuff that was saved. But what the justices said is when you begin to look at not just, you know, at clusters of data or you begin to combine databases from other people that hold information, you can actually get a quite vivid picture of the personal activities of somebody's life. And it's not that difficult. Even if the name is supposed to be hidden, you can actually go back and begin to piece together, you know, um, who did something, where they were, what time they were doing it, who they were talking to, you know, which is which is all very useful if you if you have a specific crime case you're investigating. But to hold this information on the entire public for up to two years is what the justices found unacceptable. Now, if the metadata is that revealing just for data retention, it raises issues of isn't it that revealing for our new era of big data that we're going into where a lot of commercial companies are social media um, sites that we go to. They all want to combine this kind of data and it may seem for a bland purpose like delivering you an advertisement, but researchers have shown you can actually begin to piece together quite a bit about somebody's private life. The justices said when you begin to piece this together, it can make the average citizen who's done nothing wrong feel like they're living a life under surveillance. So there will be big questions for big data and how this data, um, how these data are held, when they're destroyed, how they're managed. And for cloud computing um, issues, the, the justices also said 
they do not want this EU data held outside of Europe any longer. That's clearly a Snowden impact there. Which, which is hard to do in cloud, in cloud storage. We don't know where it is. We don't know where it is. And a lot of the cloud um, uh, services are offered by multinationals that have bases in different countries. They've been trying, they've been trying to advertise um, the fact that they have data centers in European sites, but nonetheless, we still don't know where this information goes. So there's a lot of questions about cloud computing. Now, that may not be good for the multinationals, but if it's got to be EU-based, it may be very good for uh, opportunity for European business. So it's, I think it all sort of depends on where you are and what you're doing and what services you offer and where um, where your company is actually based. Okay, Carlin, uh, clearly an awful lot more to play out in this story. Thank you very much uh, for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you. It's been quite the bloodbath for the world's largest publicly traded uh, online stocks. In the last four weeks, the top 14 big internet firms have lost a fifth of their combined value. That's $275 billion. Joining me on Inside Business and Technology to discuss this is Mark Mernan, Head of Trading at Irish spread betting firm Shelburne Markets. Mark, what's going on here? Is this a temporary blip or something more serious? Um, it, it's a blip that has coincided with the end of the or the end of Q1. Uh, we've seen quite a, a rotation from momentum stocks uh, that people have been buying for the last three, six, eight months. The Facebooks, Twitters, uh, etc., LinkedIn, all the really kind of hot IPO, X IPOs, and uh, the, the online names. And we've seen a rotation out of those into some more value stocks and people looking at for for a safer home. Uh, the stocks such as Facebook, Google, etc., they've all performed extremely well over the last uh, six, eight months, 12 months, and we've really seen a, a sharp pullback in the NASDAQ uh, where most of these stocks are traded. We've seen a sharp pullback in the last uh, two, three weeks from its high. The, the index is down around 5%. So, um seeing people coming out of the stocks that have performed very well and just a, a reallocation of money, maybe safer money, as uh, the Fed continue with the tapering or the slowdown of their quantitative easing or stimulus. And, and do you see that as a longer-term trend or just a temporary blip while people get to get over the, the end quarter lockdown and, and reevaluate their position? I, I think it's, it, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a mixture. I think as, as stocks perform well, obviously they're... Um, they're portion or their, their holding within uh, people's funds obviously increases. So um, people will look to take down the weighting a little bit and invest it elsewhere. We've also seen some, uh, th th there's quite a lot of interest in exchange traded funds or ETFs. Um, they've kind of been a, a real place where people, uh, private investors have put money over the last number of years. So as they increase in value, the ETF, people that manage the ETF have to buy more of the stocks. They go up in value. And the people, uh, as the index or as these stocks turn, people sell out of the both the stocks and the ETF, and it's a bit self-fulfilling. So mm -hmm. it can overdo the moves down. So that's that's another reason as to why we've seen the, the maybe the excess pressure on some of these names. No. Obviously, Irish investors are already pretty battle-scarred after the last few <coughs> years. A lot of them have have taken a few baths over the last five, five, eight years. Uh, I, how are they responding to this? I mean, obviously, it is an international move at the moment, but uh, is there any particular uh, reaction among Irish investors? Uh, we've actually seen, amongst uh, our clients, we've seen quite a bit of interest uh, from people looking to buy some of these names over the last week or 10 days uh, as, you know, 
people, I suppose, in, in, in many regards are trying to catch a falling knife and trying to catch the bottom of the market. Um, but going back to, I, I suppose, Irish stocks, Irish stocks have performed quite well this year. The index up around 10%. Um, some of the smaller cap names, such as Fife's, Total Produce, uh, Trinity TVC, Trinity Venture Capital, they've all performed well. Uh, we've had you know, the the REITs have IPO'd. We've also had an IPO of Delata. So there's been some good news for Irish investors. Uh, and also Bank of Ireland has performed reasonably well, up about 20% year to date. So um, that's continuing the, the, the solid performance from the Isaac over the last couple of years. But as you said, it's been a fair bloodbath in the years up to that. So, And I suppose it's always been said that Irish investors are over-invested in Ireland. But in this particular case, that might have helped them somewhat because we don't, at the moment, have the Facebooks or the like of that. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. I think people, uh, certainly that would have some of their pension or some of their cash in Irish stocks over the last couple of years have definitely outperformed. But uh, I think it's very hard to see uh, a lot of those individuals would, you know, having not been scarred on the way down as well. So they're potentially getting back some of their uh, their losses over the, you know, late 07, 08, 09 um, years. But I think we're also seeing as people begin to use the likes of Facebook, Twitter, etc., I think a, a lot of investors and private investors have invested in some of these names. So they will have also gotten some of the upside and the good performance in those names since their IPOs as well. Uh, IPOs, you mentioned there, I mean, there's been it's been a boom time for IPOs this year already, even at this early stage, although some of the momentum seems to have ground to a halt for the reasons you were talking about, the end, the end quarter sort of reconsideration of, of position. King, for instance, the Candy Crush game uh, group, has had problems trying to persuade the market of the value of its shares. Just Eat, on the other hand, seems to have been, been sold at incredible valuations. I noticed earlier this week we see Cebu Holdings are slashing the price of their uh, planned IPO as well. So is, is there a... a Concern for this traffic jam of IPOs, Alibaba and others coming down the line with this reevaluation of the of valuations in the stock market. I think investors are beginning to to refocus on you know do these companies make money? Uh, are the valuations really realistic? Uh, there were some kind of wild valuations that Alibaba could be worth in the hundreds of billions, and um, you know you you put that onto old metrics that uh, value investors will look at, and it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, the question marks over the King IPO that hasn't performed very well. Um, you know, where? what is the next candy crush? What is the next thing that these people are going to make money from? Um, so that, I think, you know, people are really, you know, now going back, these stocks have performed so well for the last six, eight, 12 months. Can it continue? And I think, you know, investors are just taking a little bit of a backseat and waiting to see, you know, how, how markets pan out before uh, maybe they will look to invest in some or all of these IPOs. And it's not just, you, you mentioned momentum stocks, it's not purely technology, biotech and biopharma, obviously, which where there's been huge interest seen as the future of that sector. They, they've come to a halt maybe slightly ahead of the technology stocks, but they've, they've had pretty much a similar sort of experience in the last few weeks. Yeah, the, the, there's a biotech uh, index or biotech ETF in the States, and that's down about 15% in the last month. Uh, very sharp pullback for for many of the same reasons. People, you know, taking money out of the the sector, uh, and that's put put quite a bit of pressure on some of the names. But over the last couple of days, there have been some quite positive broker notes on, um, you know, Biogen and a number of the other, uh, you know, biotech names. Orders, yeah, yeah. yeah w- with the view that you know maybe the, advising investors to take. Um, or, or start looking at uh, you know potential positions uh, on weakness uh, that we're seeing at the moment. So uh, 
you know, people, a lot of these moves can tend to be overdone and maybe these brokers with their reports are just indicating that to their clients and um, people with a longer term view, it might be a good chance to have a look to uh, to, to invest. And, and that's very much the point. People tend to react on, on short term movements in, in the longer term, which is what investors should always be looking at. It, is is the market still looking like a good bet, or is there a concern that it's had such a, a, a long rally at this stage that that increased diversification is going to be the the watchword over the next year, two years? I think, as you see, you know the the, the incredible amount of stimulus that has been pumped into the U.S. market, um, and also that is being currently. Uh, pumped into Japan and obviously talk of increased stimulus potentially in Europe. Um, I think people are a little bit wary that this all will have to come to an end at some stage and markets tend to be forward looking. So, you know, people are now, you know, predicting when the next or the first interest rate rise is going to be in the US, in Europe, you know, when the the actual end of the quantitative easing um, is going to be in, 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 in the US as well. So people are looking beyond two, three months and looking six months, eight months, a year out the line and trying to position themselves for what happens then. So I think people are, are really trying to see what happens when this, this cheap money uh, is pulled out of the market. And that's why I, I think we've seen the little wobbles that we've seen over the last you know month. That aligned with the fact that we obviously had problems in, in the Ukraine as well. Um, but I, I would think until the stimulus ends, the market probably continues an upward trajectory with plenty of volatility in the, in, in, in the meantime. And the stimulus does look like it's going to disappear over the next the next few months, uh, at least in the, to start. Yeah. Mark, thank you very much for joining us. That's Mark Murnan from Shelburne Markets. Uh, thank you for that. That's it for this week's show. I'd like to thank my producer Sinead O'Shea and sound engineer JJ Vernon. This podcast can be subscribed to for free each week via iTunes and is also available via SoundCloud and on the Irish Times website. Take care. Goodbye.